Okay, pasa, Mufasa. Welcome to the Micopreneur Podcast. We've got Hernan Castro, the desert alchemist, on the podcast today. The main factor in extraction is solvent. Once a solvent is fully saturated, it's not going to pull anything else out. I started thinking, I was like, well, thinking back on my chemistry classes, we pulverize, you know, we take the mushroom or the plant, you want to pulverize it to the finest, finest dust because then you have a, a wider surface area for extraction. You can pull out more compounds and agitating the solution. And this would encourage the compounds to come out way faster. Honestly, had no idea that Arizona was so popping with the fungi until I came across Hernan's work. I've also got a number of his teas on deck that I consume daily, including a wild foraged lavender reishi blend. That's a personal favorite of mine and also a cordyceps matcha. This shit's good. As always, thanks for choosing to ride with me. It's a pleasure to host this podcast for you. Without further ado, let's hear what Hernan Castro, the desert alchemist, has to say. Okay, pasa mufasa. Hernan Castro, desert alchemist, is in the house. Welcome to the Micopreneur Podcast. How are things in Arizona today, Hernan? guys thank you for inviting me uh things are pretty good uh season mushroom season is over now so things are winding down i'm doing one last uh excursion leading a group up there on saturday but that's the last one but it's my understanding that arizona is extremely popping with mushrooms which caught me by surprise when i first started to hear that because i grew up in california so i'd come over to arizona to watch major league baseball spring training and that's always in the desert right i'd always go to phoenix peoria surprise so that was my association with arizona having been many times but i understand up in Tucson, Flagstaff, kind of these areas, Prescott, there's actually an incredible funga and wild mushrooms. And I've seen Alan Rockefeller has been out there and he was posting about how much he likes it. You're doing a lot of foraging out there. So I'd love to just set the stage for the audience and have you tell us a little bit about the wild mushroom landscape in Arizona that many of us are probably overlooking. Yeah, well, I, you know, you think about Arizona and you think it's gonna be all desert. And, you know, there are some desert fungi out here. There's a, like, I don't know, maybe 20 or so that are in the actual desert. The rest are in the Sky Islands. So I live in southern Arizona where we have these mountain ranges known as the Sky Islands. And they reach, you know, above 8,000 feet, um, pretty much every single one of them. And they all have a different niche for... Um, different ecosystems and uh, fungi and, and plants and, you know, diversity in organisms. But uh, down here, that's where we go. So Mount Lemon is right here in Tucson. It's only about like a 45 minute drive up to the mountain. And you're in a totally different landscape. Um, Mount Lemon has some of the largest, you know, biodiversities of fungi in the country. Um, because we have the you know, we start out in desert, then we have like highland, desert, grassland, riparian, oakland, uh, mixed conifer, and then on the very top, there's like old growth. So every habitat, uh, allegedly, you know, from what I've read, from uh, Arizona to Canada can be found in this mountain. It's just one mountain. So it, it uh, is a great home for um, biodiversity and fungi. That's a great, a great place. But there's other places like uh, Flagstaff, which is popping right now, still popping. Got morels over there. Some people found morels just a couple days ago. 
um, chanterelles in the in Prescott, which is just you know like northern central Arizona, and then Sholo or Pine Top, where I like to go every summer, is just a giant forest, you know, giant mountain range. It's it's like a part of Arizona that you wouldn't think is here. It's like being in Colorado, sort of. You know, it, one of the things that made your product stand out to me when we met and you passed me some of the wonderful tinctures, by the way, is the fact that up to 90% or more of the mushrooms and the herbs that you use in your tinctures are wild crafted and are foraged from the wild, which is something that really makes it stand out because many people are entering the market and producing tinctures, but I don't know how many people are foraging those mushrooms and wild crafting them. So I'm a big believer in the potency of wild foraged mushrooms and herbs and i just want to ask you how did you get into doing that in the first place what is the origin story of desert alchemist well okay long story but i'll tell you um my brother my younger brother taught me how to grow psilocybe a long time ago um you know back in 2012 he started for some reason he got into it and i had done you know my share of you know eating mushrooms before but he came over one day and he was like um, hey man, I just learned how to grow these mushrooms and I think you'll really like it. I think you should try growing them. You know, it's really cool. And he kept pushing it on me and I was like, no, dude, I don't really care. You know, yeah, mushrooms are cool, but I don't want to like grow them. For some reason it didn't appeal to me, but he kept pushing it, pushing it. Every time he came over, he was like, no man, look, I just bought you the autoclave. I just bought you some bags. Like you just got, all you have to do is follow my instructions. And he kept pushing it, so eventually I was like, all right, fine, you know, I got time, I guess. So I followed his instructions, started growing, well, I failed for like, you know, a few months. I think it was like three or four months where I kept trying and, you know, I was new. So I kept getting contamination until finally I got it right. And uh, I kind of, kind of got really interested in it, you know, and, and I kept doing it for a while and then the next you know a year later he came back down to visit me i had already learned so much more than what he had taught me and he kind of stayed at that basic level and i had you know dove in pretty deep but uh yeah i had been growing since what 2012 and i stopped for a few years um because something had happened with him so i was like you know what uh, I'm just going to steer clear of this, but I'm going to keep the equipment. So I kept um, the autoclave. I kept all the lab equipment and I got rid of the cultures. But um, 2015, my father suffered three strokes, he suffered a big stroke one, one time, which left him partially immobilized. And then just like a month or two later, he suffered another one and then a third one. And so he, he became half paralyzed. And um, basically, had, I had talked to the doctors, I had seen the MRIs, and he had lost different parts of his brain. Doctors said, you know, your dad has sustained severe brain damage. Um, these parts of his brain that have been damaged will not regenerate. They're going to die, and he will never be the same. You know, he'll have this paralysis, lingering paralysis for the rest of his life. And uh, because he's had so many strokes back-to-back, um, we think that he's going to keep having more and I just want to prepare you, uh, just in case, cause you know, you might lose your father if this happens, if this keeps happening. So I got freaked out and I started doing research on 
anything that could help with paralysis. So I, like, I looked into stem cell therapy. I looked at all these studies on, online, and you know, I was doing a lot of research. But there was one uh, study that kept popping up, uh, which was lion's mane being used in Korea and Japan and China. And they were doing little studies, you know, in vitro, and then they were doing some stuff with animals where they were sort of like regenerating um, spine tissue and nerve tissue in mice. And um, this was very interesting to me. So I, I collected uh, all these studies and uh, different ones explained how the lion's mane is doing this, why they got interested in it, what compounds are in the, in the mushroom, and then other studies, you know, just showing um, data on, on uh, different types of um, clinical trial, or not clinical trials, but experiments that we're doing on uh, neurons and cell tissue. So this kind of like blew my mind and I was like, hey dad, you know, I got all these studies from this mushroom. If you're interested, I can try to grow this mushroom. I've never grown this kind of grown other stuff, but I've never grown, uh, you know, a mushroom that grows on a tree, but I'll try it for you if you want to, if you want to check it out. And um, I have a recipe from these experiments. I could probably formulate a, um, an extraction uh, similar to what they have done in these experiments. So my dad was like super excited about it. He was pretty desperate. So he was like, I'll try it, you know, I'll, I'll do whatever I can, whatever it takes to, to gain mobility back. So um, I started messing around with uh, some chemistry. I, I did study chemistry in college. So it, it wasn't too hard for me to understand what the compounds were and how they were extracting them. Um, and it took me about six months to get it all together. But I finally, you know, I got a culture online. I grew the mushroom and then I started extracting them, drying them out, processing them. I did a simple dual extraction at home, very, very basic. And I got my dad his first tincture and he started taking this. And, uh, I told them, you know, dad, some of these experiments take months. Uh, sometimes they take years. So just keep taking it. If it doesn't um, help you, it's not gonna hurt you. So he took it, of course, he kept taking it, taking it. And um, long story short, a year later, he had recovered mobility on his right arm, his legs, uh, lasting to basically um, for him to recover was a sensation on his lips and his toes. So uh, he made, I would say 99% recovery. Um, and, um, I, I think the lion's mane, um, the compounds in the lion's mane kind of helped to support his body and his regeneration. And that's basically what got me into mushrooms. It was the medicinal aspect of fungi. And from there I started studying, you know, turkey tail and reishi and then the wild species. And I just kind of became fascinated with all the mushrooms and started, um, foraging and looking for mushrooms in the wild. Right on. That's a really potent and powerful origin story right there. Yeah. Uh, being able to restore mobility and feeling in your father. That's incredible. And it's something that we've heard a lot. People who work with mushrooms, right? As you hear about these 
recoveries that are miraculous in, in one sense is one word for them. And it's one of my favorite things to hear those stories because so often people in our families and, you know, in my family, my mother recently went through chemo. So all of us are confronted with these health challenges at some point, either personally or with family or close friends. And just hearing these powerful restoration and recovery stories where mushrooms played a, a crucial role there is something that really pushed me forward and wanting to be more public facing and more of an advocate in my community for all types of mushroom magic, right? There's the saying that, right, like all mushrooms are magic, right? People ask you, are those magic mushrooms? It's like, well, lion's mane's magic too. Turkey tail's magic too, right? Like these are incredible remedial and restorative allies that we have. So, and I love the, the wild crafted angle too. So it's neat that you cultivated the lion's mane, but the, the fact that you also wild forage them now, you talk about turkey tail, right? That's something a lot of people forage in the wild is epic too. So you mentioned a little bit about your extraction that you did and you had a background, an academic background in chemistry. And that's something that a lot of folks are interested in, right? Is learning extraction or improving their extraction methods. And I've probably had a half dozen people that I've hosted on the podcast who work with extraction in some capacity, you know, at different scales, different levels. And they all have their own little tips and tricks and equipment, right? And their own way of doing it. And I'd love to hear a little bit about how you go about your extractions, right? And uh, if you could share something about maybe some of the process and some of the equipment and some of the, the differing factors of what, what makes your extractions stand out or, or perhaps you know, how are they, how are they extracted differently than a more standard format? Well, there's, you know, there's, uh, different sort, uh, kinds of equipment that they use for extraction. Um, if I had the money, I would use the hypercritical CO2 extraction, but that's machines cost like, I don't know, 20 G's or something. Uh, someday I will be doing stuff like that. Um, but, um, let's see, what else is there? Um, the ultrasonic, defib not defibrillator, um, ultrasonic extraction where you use sound waves um, to basically destroy the cell membranes is one of my favorites. Um, basically, you get a machine that blasts this um, uh, solvent with mushrooms in it with sound. It's really, really um, high sounds. The sound destroys the cells or the cell membrane, um, but that makes it easier for the cell walls to kind of fall apart. A lot of cell walls are have proteins in them, and proteins get denatured by alcohol. So um, having them, having this process done in the alcohol basically opens up all the cells, all the compounds that you kind of want from the mushroom are leaked out into the solvent and. Um, um, you get all the medicine out basically that's the whole purpose of doing extractions but when I when I was starting out with extracts um, you know those experiments the scientists were using methanol and ether and a lot of like toxic stuff so I was like I can't use that I don't want to put, give my dad any of this I don't have the proper equipment to evaporate it and even if it's evaporated I still don't trust um, those chemicals so um, I started digging on online, and uh, actually my, my grandfather gave me a book um, before he passed away. It was an herbal formulas type of book, and it teaches you how to make tinctures and salves and lotion and shampoo and all this stuff. 
in there there was a, a very basic recipe uh which where where you know you basically just take the plant material and soak it in alcohol in a jar and um i started looking online and most herbalists follow this very like ancient um formula where they just take plants you know plant material stick it in a jar and they let it sit there for months that's how I got started in the beginning. But, but then I was like, you know, what is there really, what's really happening in, in three months? You know, um, you let it sit there for so long. I wanted to, I, I, I started researching how to, uh, or, or how to find the timeline where the peak amount of co compounds was extracted from the solvent. And um, I know that after some amount of time, nothing else will come out you know you reach a, a point where you extract 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 everything and um and after that certain point nothing else comes out so my whole goal was to figure out um um how how to how to figure how to find out what what that time was what that time frame was whether it was two weeks or a month and so I, I messaged a lot of people, I even tried to reach out to Paul Stamets to see if he could help me out with this. I couldn't find any uh, research online uh, on this topic. And then later it dawned on me. I was like, well, I've done a lot of experiments in chemistry. It really, um, it, time is a factor, but the main factor in extraction is solvent you know once a solvent is fully saturated it's not going to pull anything else out so uh, i started thinking i was like well thinking back on my chemistry classes we pulverize you know we take the mushroom or the plant and you want to pulverize it to the finest finest dust because then you have a, a wider surface area for extraction you can pull out more compounds than the traditional way where you just take out chunks and put them in a jar this you you pulverize it into a fine powder you stick it in the jar and then in, in chemistry what we did is we added one of those stir bars into the solution and had it you know titrating and, and spinning and agitating the solution and this would encourage the compounds to come out way faster so um that's i uh, started adding my own twist to the formulas um and uh of course stronger solvents will also um, pull things faster or better. And so I, 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 I kind of let go of that, um, that experiment that I was chasing after because I figured out that it really isn't that much about time, but about the technique and how you extracted um, what, what sort of um, solvent and agitation and uh, all those factors are, are, are really key, key factors in extraction. And uh, like I said, when the solvent is fully saturated, like when you pulled out as much as it can pulled out and it can't hold anymore, all you have to do is like filter it, filter out that powder and then add more solvent and then more stuff will come out. So this all took me you know, a while, but that's how I figured it out. Hey, so much of that is above my pay grade, but I feel like I owe you like a consultation fee right now because that was some pretty comprehensive and in-depth 
chemistry knowledge that you just dropped right there. So I'm sure that some of you out there are going to fully pick up on all of that. And as mentioned before, there's plenty more folks that are getting into extraction. So reach out to Ernan and tap in with Desert Alchemist if you have any questions, because just like he mentioned, he reached out to Paul Stamets. I guess that's how it works, right? There's always going to be people who are a few steps ahead of you. You're a few steps behind someone else. And one thing I love about the Myco community is a lot of people are very willing to share their knowledge and resources. And, you know, it's a, I've heard other people say this as well. Like once upon a time, a lot of the tricks and tips for growing were very closely guarded. But now a lot of people are more willing to just share the knowledge with the community. And I think all of us want to see more people have access to these types of medicines, to these tinctures. All of us in this community want to be able to share lion's mane tinctures with family and friends who might benefit from them. So the more people we have extracting, I think the better off everyone's going to be. So thank you for dropping that knowledge. Let's tap in a little bit about some of the things you've learned as an entrepreneur or, or as a micropreneur in this case, because everybody who's doing something entrepreneurial and running their own business is going to run up against challenges, right? Probably some more than others. Some challenges are going to be greater than others. But I think at every point in your business development, you're going to have to overcome these trials that happen. And if you're not running up against challenges, then you're not really an entrepreneur or running a, a business, okay? Because it's something that is just, it comes with the territory. But I've always learned that when these challenges come, your ability to confront them and overcome them will determine a lot of the success of your business in the future, right? Is like they might even be proportional. If you overcome a really great challenge, there's going to be a really great opportunity on the other side of that. So I'm curious if any challenges in the last few years since you've been running Desert Alchemist come to mind as a situation or a scenario that presented a, a great challenge for you, for your business, that you had to overcome and what are some of the ways that maybe you overcame this? Well, there have been some challenges, um, challenges with potency or, you know, the desired results that I want in my products. Uh, and I just, I'm always improving my formulas, looking for new ingredients, trying to make things, uh, choose things carefully that will not cause interactions with medication or, um, things like that. So I haven't really had any complaints with any clients, maybe, maybe one time, but it was because of a, med a new medication that came out that I had no, and no idea about. Um, but really I haven't had any problems in that regards, just trying to, um, make things better. You know, um, some people in the beginning, my sleep formula wasn't supporting their sleep, uh, as much as it was working for some other people. So I, um, revised the formula and added uh, different ingredients that would help it um, be more supportive for everybody and not just a certain group. Uh, same thing with for pain. But um, over time, I just keep researching and keep um, working on, uh, on the different techniques to make these more powerful. And I've overcome those problems. One of the problems that I have that... Um, I'm sure some of some of the people that are uh, micropreneurs might have or run into in the future is uh, FDA. So um, you know when you get you when you become successful, you also um, create a lot of I don't know I guess hate. So there's some haters out there that um, I guess that I, mu I must have pissed them off because. 
they sent the FDA after me. So I, you know, 2019, I got a letter from the FDA saying that somebody had submitted a tip um, about some of the verbiage that I was using. And so I had to work with the FDA and I had to like re revise all of the language that I was using, making sure that I wasn't using any medical terms or any kind of, I wasn't at giving it or um, implying that my products have any attributes of healing or improving or changing anything. So I had to do all of that and um, had to hire a consultation, a consultant that's going to help me. I still need uh, like a lot of money to do the, to finish this, but it's a um, consultant that's going to help me uh, meet all the FDA requirements so that I'm in, you know, par and, and within regulation and um, it's basically just a lot of paperwork that they want. They want paperwork um, detailing all the steps, all the processes, uh, ingredients, testing, of course, which I have, and um, uh, just a ridiculous amount of paperwork, which costs a lot of money, and I'm working on it. So that's one of the things. That's my main challenge that I'm uh, dealing with right now, uh, but we're doing pretty good. Um, good progress. The FDA people are really nice. The, at least the lady that I met, she actually suggested that I hire a consultant because um, they're not supposed to tell you that, but she she told me. She said, if I were you, hire a consultant. I want you to like be successful. And so I did. Um, but yeah, whoever whoever did that to me, um, it, they try to hurt me, but it's going to make my products even better because when I'm over this hump, I'm going to be FDA certified and my, that's just going to legitimize my company even more. Awesome. That's the right way to look at it, right? When somebody throws lemons your way, just squeeze some lemonade out of it and sip it under a tree and enjoy, enjoy the ride the whole way. So you mentioned your sleep formula tincture that you have. And I'd be curious if you could walk us through a few of the most popular products that you are offering right now. And what are some of the best sellers? What are some of your personal favorites? What's like a, a little elevator pitch on your, your brand product line here? The thing that I take pride about in my brand is that most of the ingredients that I have, I wildcraft myself. I believe, uh, like I said, I believe in wildcrafted versus lab grown. Uh, I know there's a big debate about which are better, but uh, you know I, I believe that the wild mushrooms have more potency because they're exposed to all of these external um, pressures like weather, viruses, bacteria, animals, other fungi. Um, so they're 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 out there surviving against all this stuff, you know, all these odds, and they're this external pressure causes them to produce these compounds, you know, they make and you know, these antibacterial compounds to fight the bacteria that are attacking them. They make these antivirals to fight the viruses that are also trying to take them down. Um, and so I believe that in the wild, they have more, more uh, medicinal compounds that are being produced because they have to deal with this. Um, lab grown ones are good. And there are ways to enhance lab-grown mushrooms to make them produce, you know, either more minerals or, or different medicinal compounds based on lighting, the lighting spectrum, whether you're using like blue light or red light or different kinds of spectrum. But I believe the wild ones are better. And so I, 
that's what I focus on is uh, providing the people with um, mushrooms or products that are made with wild and we try to keep everything wild so um, some of my best products are the coffee people really really like the coffee I might have to start a coffee mushroom coffee business aside from desert alchemist just to meet the demand but we basically take um, uh, coffee that's grown in Oaxaca up in the mountains and uh, infuse it with the extract of many different mushrooms so whether it's chaga or lion's mane or a combination of seven mushrooms uh, the, mu the coffee absorbs it and uh, it's basically a healthier coffee uh, much better coffee than regular coffee and uh, that's one of my best sellers uh, out of the extracts I think the sleep the sleep spell is my number one seller I think a lot of people struggle with sleep and this uh, extract uh, provides a lot of support for sleep helps people um, get good quality of sleep you know supports good quality sleep uh, restfulness and uh, supports not um, no grogginess the next day so feels really good and it just helps the body's natural uh, sleep cycles that's one of my best sellers. Well, I have like 26 different products. You know, I have support for I, the, like, the newest one that I made was uh, men's support. So it's got all these herbs like tribulus, uh, horny goat weed, uh, yohimbe, um, ginseng, ashwagandha, tonkat ali. So it's basically herbs that support men's health and healthy testosterone levels. Um, that's my newest one, but I have like stuff that supports blood sugar um you know healthy cholesterol levels immunity of course um support for antiviral or like antiviral support um anxiety pain uh, all these different kinds energy man that's all of those are so important to address right now because we live in a society that's bombarding us with pressures and expectations and external stimuli, right? So I know sleep is tough for a lot of people these days because you've got so much on your mind and we're all romanticizing grind culture. And there's this narrative out there that says you need to sleep less, you need to do more, you need to double up your schedule. And a lot of the lessons that many of us learn from nature and from mushrooms says maybe we shouldn't be grinding nonstop all the time. Maybe we need to allow ourselves adequate rest and to have various allies in the plant and fungi world that help to support that. So super important. I'm still learning how to do that myself, how to just stay in and be cozy instead of always needing to go out and produce and do stuff. So I'd love to hear about your personal regimen because you have access to all these tinctures and you've got, you know, yeah, what does it look like for you? Do you have a specific windows of time throughout the day where, where you're taking certain supplements? And what does that daily regimen look like for you? If I remember, I have them next to my bed. So whenever I remember to take them, I take uh, lion's mane. I take this one that I uh, I created myself. It's called Brain Boost, and it's got like ginkgo biloba, bacopa, goto cola, cooperzine, which is in the Chinese club moss, rosemary, lion's mane, honey mushroom, um, cauliflower, and snow fungus. So these are all mushrooms that support the brain, and the herbs also support uh, memory and cognitive function. That's one that I take every day. The sleep one, of course, but only, I only take that one at night. Um, I also take one that's called the Elixir of Life, which has all these herbs that contain a lot of antioxidant compounds, uh, mushrooms like chaga, 
um, ratio, of course, cordyceps. Uh, let's see what else. I got them right here. Uh, um, oh, yeah, and the fortify. I took the fortify, which is just basically all the mushrooms that have um, that, that support immune function, healthy immune function. And then I have the, the king of the forest, which is the men's support. That's, that's the one that I have. If I had to buy these, like, because I, when I first started um, taking supplements, I was taking Paul Stamets's, you know, uh, host defense products. That shit was expensive. <laughs> so if I had to, like, buy these, yeah, I, I don't know. It, I would have to drop a lot of money, you know, monthly. So I'm very, I think that's part of the reason why I started making them is so that I wouldn't have to buy them from different companies. So I have, you know, seven different bottles here next to my bed and some of them are you know four ounces so they're pretty big yeah you know a, a nice hack for people making tinctures i just want to shout out while i'm thinking about it is also to offer like a travel size tincture because that's one of the things that has been a challenge for me is people have sent me these big bottles of tincture which is super awesome and then i jump on a plane and i don't typically check bags i always do carry on so you know i'm, I'm on the road a lot so i think many tinctures like travel size is something might be worth looking into, whatever is below the TSA requirements and regulations. Super cool. Oh, no, no, so I have I have the Elixir, I think. I forgot the name of it, but you, you gave me one and I've been using it and then I moved, so all my stuff is in boxes right now, so I'm gonna have to unbox it. But I've also been taking some lion's mane supplements very regularly, and that's something that when you have good tinctures and good products, you should be able to feel them. It should make a noticeable difference because for me, like I've tried various products and this and that, and I noticed quite a few of them, there was not really anything happening. And people would say, oh, it's subtle. And I go, well, once I tried a really potent tincture and I could feel the lion's mane and I could feel a sense of memory recall and just a general vitality and fluidity, like I, I never went back after that. And I've been just using the same products over and over sure. since then. So I think, you know, for anyone listening, like it's worth trying out different people's products because you might have ordered one from somebody or this company or that company. And maybe there's a better product for you personally out there. So that's just a little endorsement, a plug to tap in with Ernan and see if Desert Alchemist tinctures are a good fit for you. Because I do believe that there's people out there right now listening that will gain a lot of benefits from, from the formulas that you put together. Right. And I, there's one thing I would like to top, touch on uh, with regards to mushroom products. I'm not going to throw names out there. But there are products out there that are made with you know, a lot of grain, you know, a lot of myceliated brown rice, which um, for these companies, what they do is they you know they and I don't know if they know if they're aware of this or if they're intentionally doing it. I'm, so I can't you know, I'm not going to say anything. So I don't know if they know or not, because uh, a lot of people are new and they're just jumping into this and they're making products um, and they might not know. But um, what companies will do is they'll, they'll take a bag of grains they'll inoculate it with, I don't know, let's say lion's mane. And then the bag colonizes. Um, then let's say this company is getting a lot of demand. Uh, instead of waiting for the fruits to grow and finish, finish their whole growing process and um, harvesting only the fruit, a lot of companies will just take the whole bag and grind up all of that rice or grain um, into a powder and then they'll do an extraction on that and, and what you're getting there is um, mostly like um, you know I don't know 80 to 90 percent grain extract 
with a little bit of mycelium or, or lion's mane in it. Um, and, um, you know, the, the mycelium, there's studies that you can look up on this. Mycelium does produce compounds, but not when it's growing on grain. Uh, it's, it's not very dense, so it's, it's very thin. And in order to get, um, you know, a type of density that you can find in a fruiting body, there's only one method that I know of that where, where you can stimulate mycelium to produce enough medicinal compounds where it's comparable or, co or comes close to a fruiting body's content. And that is through a, a very specific type of liquid fermentation, which I know a lot of companies are not using. So, um, uh, you know, fruiting body extracts are the best. Um, so look, look for those things. Don't, don't get the mycelium stuff. Uh, unless you've done a lot of research on this and you know that they're using this very, very specific fermentation extract or fermentation process, which um, uh, not a lot of people know about. Um, so, so look for those, you know, look for fruiting body extracts. If they're wild fruiting bodies, that's even better. That's a plus. Um, but uh, let's see what else. There's another thing that I wanted to talk about. Oh, oh yeah. The, so a lot of products also use just raw mushroom powder which you know you would think is good but our bodies do not produce chitinase which is an enzyme that breaks down the chitin in the mushroom and that's one of the things one of the um, one of the struggles that I had when I started the, the, the research on medicinal mushrooms is I ran into the this problem where you know the body can only absorb so much when you eat a mushroom the rest of it gets, you know, goes through your system. So um, after doing some research, you know, I, I realized that the chitin, you know, the cell walls of mushrooms are mostly made out of chitin, and if you don't break those cells open, you can't, you can't get get the benefits of the mushroom. So if you're eating mushroom powders that are just made out of raw mushrooms, you're gonna get a little bit of that medicinal property, but most of it is gonna, you know, you're just gonna basically pee it out. And so um, uh, companies sell mushroom powders like that. I don't know if they're aware of this, but if you're going to try to get a product on the market, make sure it's an extract, whether it's a liquid or powder, um, whatever it is, make sure it's an extract and not just a raw mushroom. Because otherwise, if you're not going to do your own extraction, you're going to be kind of wasting the product and wasting your money. Um, not wasting it, but you won't be getting as much bang for your buck. Basically. That's something that I want people to be aware of. I think everybody should be aware of that and should make the most informed decisions possible if you're bringing this product into your life. If you're starting to form a relationship with medicinal mushrooms, you should probably do as much due diligence as possible. And this is something that comes up a lot is people will ask me, hey, I want to start a functional mushroom routine. What do you think about this brand? And the first thing I'll do is say, well, just look if they're using fruiting bodies or, you know, if they are using myceliated grain. And a lot of legit products should link to QR codes with lab test results from third-party labs, right? And that's a, a thing I think more people are starting to realize is you can order mushroom products from people who have actually had them third party tested. And you know uh, that, that's something that I think should be an industry standard. And we're starting to see that with psilocybes too now as people testing them more and looking for potency testing. So before we let you go today, we got to tap into psilocybes. You mentioned that that's a, originally how you got into growing mushrooms is 
your brother taught you. And I started with a grow kit, right? And I'm not a great cultivator by any stretch. Like I enjoy cultivating, but it doesn't come very naturally to me. I'm always, you know, I still get contam all the time and maybe not enough people broadcast that, but it just seems like so many people in the mushroom cultivation community have their shit together. And like, there I am with my still air box, you know, painstakingly trying to inject bags and Lo and behold, you know, I get two tubs full of contam a couple weeks later. So, you know, for anybody listening, like it's it's not as easy as everybody makes it look. You know, everybody likes to show their successes, but nobody likes to show their failures and their contam. So, yeah, yeah. Like what, what were some of the things that you learned that helped you optimize your process? And uh, also, while we're on the subject, are there any naturally occurring psilocybes growing in Arizona? And can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah. Um, uh, well, I, uh, let's, yeah. So the growing part, um, if you're going to try to skip steps, that's going to lead to contamination. You know, a lot of people get, you know, start trying to grow, including me. When I first started, I was kind of lazy. I was like, Oh, I don't want to do that. I'll just skip that part and do this part. And that always, you know, I learned it the hard way. It got, it led me to, contamination you know get bacteria or mold and then once you have mold in your house like if you open the bag full of trike in your room it's going to be all over your house and it's going to be really hard to get it out um that i learned that the hard way as well uh so like if you want to like sterilize or learn how to grow mushrooms properly i would i would follow the technique down to the last detail don't um don't skip steps or don't add or or omit things unless you're really experienced and have done this multiple times then you can start getting a little comfortable not wearing a mask or doing an open air or just doing the still air box because i grew out of a still air box or at least i did all my um petri stuff in a still air box for many years i didn't even actually have a flow pit until this year (laughs) so i was doing a lot of stuff you know out here in the open and I, i got really comfortable with it and um contam rates weren't that high but in the beginning yeah i mean i struggled like i said it took me about three to six months i think maybe six months to get it right to get it where i was not getting contamination it's it's a struggle and you're always gonna possibly have some sort of contaminant with growing it's um it's unfortunate but it's just part of part of the deal you know growing mushrooms and the psilocybes, um, there is, I think Hopii is from Arizona, psilocybe Hopii, which is um, one of the newer ones that were discovered. Um, and I think, uh, well, definitely we have um, psilocybe astacorum, which I found this year um, in, in Sholo. Um, I went up there. Um, I asked. Alan Rockefeller for some tips because I had been looking. I mean, I was looking, but I wasn't really actively, really, really trying very hard. I was just like picking up random little mushrooms that looked similar. And I was like, oh, is this Hestacorm? Is this Hestacorm? And and it wasn't. But this year I got serious. I was like, I got to find this before. I only have like a few weeks left before the season ends. I got to find this. So I went out there with that intention, you know, and I went out and I went out to Sholo. And I had some ideas of where I was going to look, but I messaged Alan Rockefeller and I was like, hey, um, you know, um, I could use a little a little tip, you know, on more specific location or type of habitat where I might find these. And so he did. He helped me out. 
and it was very similar to where I was going to go anyways. So I went there and I spent a whole day, you know, you know, combing through the grass, looking along uh, the banks of this uh, creek. And until, you know, and I found a lot of lookalikes and I was like, this could be it. This, you know, it looks very similar. Uh, I grabbed like, I don't know, maybe three or four different lookalikes. And then the last one I found, um, found it under a little spruce, you know, little cluster or a, a little group of five mushrooms. And I looked at it <clears throat> and then uh, my friend Rob, you know, you, you probably know him, Michael Vigilante. He was with me. He was saying, no, that's not asking for him. That's not asking for him. And so when I found this last one, I was like, hey, dude, I think I found Estacorum. He was like, yeah, right, you know, because I had mentioned it a few times before and he didn't believe it. So um, I looked at this mushroom and they're tiny, they're very tiny, very, very thin. Looked at it closely, took it out of, out of the ground. And um, I looked under the cap and the cap or, or the stem was growing sideways. So I had dropped a little bit of spores on the stem. And I saw that and I was like, these are a freaking brown, you know, brown purplish spores. This is it. I found it. Um, took some pictures, sent them to Alan and he confirmed it. So I was like, yes, I finally found it. So I got a little print from that. And then Alan sent me another print from uh, Stilosibi Astacorum that he found in Mexico. So I'm going to try to isolate those two different um, genetics, two different spores. And I'm going to try to make um, a new genetic with those two that I can add, you know, it's, it, it's good to add new genetics to, to the, to what's out there in nature. That way there's more diversity and things don't get bottlenecked. So I'm going to make some new, new, new strains of the same species and introduce them, reintroduce them into the wild just so we can get more diversity and hopefully more philosophies growing out there doing the the good work there that is important work that you're doing and i'm always pumped to hear stories like that and i feel like a little kid every time i go out foraging mushrooms there's something about just finding them and you know having your friends out there and going out and comparing together that never gets old for me there's a sense of childlike wonder that comes with foraging and i absolutely love it so we're kind of hitting the sweet spot right now but before we let you go today I'd love to know if there's anything else that you want to shout out about projects you're involved with at the moment, projects on the horizon for you, and just general pointers or, or anything that you want to share with the audience before we let you go today. No, just uh, I'm going to be working on my next project is mastering uh, genetic sequencing. I'm going to have some help with help from Alan. I've done this in the lab at, at uh, U of A before, but I kind of got a little rusty. So I'm gonna buy some equipment so that I can um, sequence things, um, and then send them send them out to um, the GeneWiz and, and get some results on. Because there's some species out here in Arizona, especially south of the I-10. I don't know if you know about this, but south of the I-10 here, a lot of new species, new mushrooms are being discovered every year. And so um, David Aurora and his right hand guy come down there every year and they try to get, you know, discover new beliefs and new different types of mushrooms. And um, they're finding new things. So Arizona, Southern Arizona specifically is the frontier for, for um, new mushrooms. So that's what I'm, well, that's what I'm excited about. That's something that I want to contribute to. And my ecology is I want to sequence mushrooms, hopefully find some new things. 
but I there there are some mushrooms that I have run into here in um in the Santa Rita Mountains that it's a basically you know different different mushrooms but I guess to be specific there's one type of reishi that grows there that doesn't look anything like the reishi that have been sequenced here in Arizona which are Ganoderma polychromum, Cecile, and Suge. There's this one looks very different. It looks more like, uh, or it sort of looks like an applin, like Ganoderma aplanatum mixed with a regular Ganoderma. Um, and uh, nobody has had time to sequence it, so I'm going to try to sequence it myself. Hopefully, I, I believe it's something new because it's very different looking the other stuff so that's what i'm going to be working on and if you guys ever come to uh southern arizona or arizona in general hit me up we can go go on a hike go foraging august july august september are our best mushroom times for foraging here. well i'm definitely going to take you up on that offer i've got a very close friend who lives in tucson and he's into rock climbing and mountaineering so he's always going out to the mountains south of the I-10 down there. And I'm very familiar with the I-10 being from San Diego. So, you know, that whole border region, I take the 10 to get out to Arizona. And uh, so driving from LA, at least when I go up there and then drive over to, to Arizona. So Hernan Castro, the Desert Alchemist, thank you very much for joining us on Michaelpreneur. It's been a real pleasure. You're welcome back anytime. And thank you for the great work that you're doing. Likewise, thank you so much. Thank you for inviting me. And that is a wrap. Thank you for sticking around to the bitter end. It's very sweet of you to commit so thoroughly. Don't be a stranger. Let me know what you thought of this episode. And please consider checking out the substantial backlog while you're at it. You can reach out to me via email, michaelpreneur at gmail.com. Or hit me on any of the numerous social platforms that I'm currently active on. At Michaelpreneur Podcast is the handle on Instagram and Twitter. Thank you all very much for sticking around. Have a wonderful day. I'll see you back here next week on the Michaelpreneur Podcast.